Welcome back to Conversations with Coco and Friends. I'm your host, Coco, aka Katrina Smart. Every episode, I'll be having real conversations with the people who inspire me. We go deep and we go there. And I've got my girls with me. This podcast is co-hosted by two of my friends who I happen to also work with. Cleo is a kick-ass producer and a problem solver. And Pilar is an insane director and social media manager. We hope you enjoy these conversations as much as we enjoy having them. For most of you that have been around for a while, you know all about my fertility struggles. For those of you who are new here, I had numerous miscarriages and then an ectopic pregnancy before I had Harlow. Because I had the miscarriages and the ectopic with my ex-husband before we were really planning on having a baby, I didn't think there was a real cause for alarm. And more importantly, neither did my doctors. Many years later, a divorce, and then finding new love with Jimmy, we set out to start a family and make a sibling for age. And miscarriage after miscarriage, and eventually trying our hand at IVF, we discovered my egg supply was far too low, and that the only real option would be to use a donor egg. That, along with the global pandemic beginning, Jimmy and I decided to give up our dream of having a baby of our own. Guys, it gutted us. Truly. There's nothing in the world that I would want more than to have a baby with Jimmy, the world's greatest dad. There is no one, I mean no one, who is better with kids than him. Because of my lack of knowledge about my body and no one telling me that our medical system is created in such a way that you simply must advocate for yourself, I decided to share my story with anyone who would listen and continue to have podcasts about it. Go back and listen to our other episode if you're so inclined. We don't talk about fertility enough in our society. And because more and more women are having babies later in life, it's imperative that we really just talk about it. Knowledge is power. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Dr. Mahazen, a graduate of Cornell and of U of T, with a laundry list of insane achievements. I swear, Google him. It's wild. He's also a fertility expert, and most importantly, the doting husband of our girl, Miss Roxy Earl. I guess it's Mrs. Now. If you're on a journey to pregnancy or even interested on being on that journey one day, I hope you enjoy this open and honest conversation. And if you like it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. It really helps. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome, Dr. Mahasin. Thank you very much. We're so happy to have you. It's good to be here. 
We're going to just hop right into it. We've in previous episodes, we've talked about fertility before, but we never actually spoken to a professional about it. It was more, more me crying about my sad situation, <laughs> but we're so happy to have you because it, we think it's super, super important for wi- well, women and men to know more about fertility and before it's too late. I think people don't, especially within the um, Canadian system, you kind of don't really find out about your fertility health until you can't have a baby rather than being proactive about it and figuring that yeah. out. Yeah, I've seen that. What are the reasons someone would require a fertility doctor to visit or visit a fertility clinic? So I think that there's a variety of reasons why you might want to. So I think in general, what you said about not knowing that you need a doctor until it's too late mm-hmm. is a really salient point. I think that if you're going to have kids later on, and later on doesn't mean as late as people think. Right, so right. Yeah, touch on that, true. actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does later on really mean? Without right. hurting anyone. We're not here to hurt anybody's feelings. No. We're just talking facts here, okay? Right, right. So, you know, I would say that if you're thinking of having a baby into your late 30s, early 40s, those are times when a lot of people will need some support. And so if that's you, then you should probably be talking to somebody. And if even if you know that earlier on, like if you know when you're in your early 30s, you're really not going to be having a kid until, until that point, right. it's worth going and having a chat. What is the process for people looking to find a fertility doctor? What are some tips that you can recommend when looking for someone that's local? Sure. Yeah. So um, in Canada, it's it's all by referral. And then there's usually a bit of a wait time because there is a bit of a, a backlog. So yeah. it can take a few months to get in uh, in Canada. So knowing that you're getting a referral from your doctor, how could you educate yourself on different different fertility clinics to know which one you actually want to meet with? Because the doctor's going to pick the one probably closest or the one they have a relationship with. Is, yeah. Are there any tips on like finding out more information on specific clinics? That's a really good question. So I did a lot of my work in the U.S. So I trained, I went to U of T for med school, but then I went and did a lot of my training in the U.S. In L.A., I was in uh, Detroit for a bit. I was in Eastern Virginia. So I've seen a lot of different practice styles. Right. And the uh, that's a very hard question to answer in, in Canada because of a couple of things. The, the first thing is that clinics here are not required to disclose their success rates. So I don't know how, how much... In the U.S. they are? Yeah. So in the U.S. they have to report to a thing called SART, which, which audits your, your clinics to make sure you're kind of reporting honestly and all that. So in the U.S. it was a lot easier to kind of know what clinic to kind of go to because you kind of get a sense for how they're doing yeah. and, you know, and clinics then have pressure to improve their rates and whatnot. So in Canada, no one has to actually report that. So... And there's been a lot of pressure against like reporting that from what I understand. So this kind of bizarre to me when I got here. I yeah. thought this was really, really weird. And so I, I still think it's pretty weird, but like it agreed. is the way it is. Yes, 100% yes. <laughs> uh, so in terms of what clinic to go to, it's you really don't really know what you're getting in Canada to some degree. And you kind of have to kind of go on faith as to like the clinic's doing a good job and is going to and has reasonable success rates. So for me in that question, even though I practice here, I personally, for people I really care about, I usually recommend they go to certain places in the U.S. Okay. And what are these certain places? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, well, for example, like it kind of depends on what your issue is. Yeah. But there's different places that are kind of better at different things. But up here, it's very difficult to sort of tell what you're kind of getting because the success rates are not disclosed. And the way the business uh, incentives are up here, because fertility is a big business, uh, mm-hmm. these clinics, right? So the way the incentives are set up, it's more beneficial financially to run a very cheap lab with very low success rates than this it is, is to fucked. wow yeah, than like, it is to like run a really high success place because it's cheaper to run a, a crappy yeah. lab, right? This is so heartbreaking. So, 
And so like you have like places that are running like super low cost IVF. And in Canada, consumers have this mentality that all doctors and all centers are equal because yeah. we have a government system. And so, you know, someone's going to get pregnant, right? But yeah. what, what happens doesn't really move your bottom line. So it's kind of up to you to kind of want to do the right thing and this and that, right? So it's very difficult to kind of answer that question yeah. as to like how you choose a clinic in Canada because you don't have the kind of transparency that, that you have in the U.S., which is usually the opposite. Like the U.S. is usually like full of scams right? yeah, yeah, <laughs> compared yeah, to Canada. Yeah. Yeah. But in this one area, it's like, it's not like that. So it's, it's a hard question to answer. I think once I started to be honest and open about not being able to have a kid um, with Jimmy, with my partner, um, that's when I started getting like tons of referrals from word of mouth. So actually you, yeah. you came up tons, but it was, I was, I was too late now. Like I, I talked about my, what happened to me and how we couldn't have a baby, but I had just been gone to the clinic that my doctor at MedCan told me to go to. Right. I just went there. And when, when I said we're not having kids and this was my story or whatever, so many people were like, where did you go? And I told them the clinic, they're like, don't go there. <laughs> like, and I'm like, what? Oh, I <laughs> and I wish I knew two years ago that like, but there's no kind of rating system, but it's almost like the secret society of people who pass notes about fertility, like, and they don't yeah. talk about it in public. And so many people that I know, I even knew like it, as acquaintances and they had two kids, one kid, they're like, oh, I struggled for five years. I'm like, pardon? What? But it's just things we don't talk about it because there's so much shame around it. And that is the, to the detriment of all these people because there's no information out there, right? Yeah. So word of mouth, that was the only thing that I found that was kind of true. I think what's yeah. wild about that too is like, I'm rethinking our whole system right now and I'm yeah. mad about it because I started this too where I'm like, I'm going to freeze my eggs. And I sat during COVID with my primary care doctor and I'm like, hey, I want to look at fertility stuff. This man asked me three questions on the phone. He's like, how old are you? I'm like, 34, you have that? He's like, have you ever been pregnant? I'm like, nope. He's like, are you trying to get pregnant? He's like, nope. He's like, you should be fertile. I'm like, weird. <laughs> Super weird that you could tell that through the phone. <laughs> and I'm not, right. I, and I said that right. to him. I was like, mm, I don't know. Did you run any blood tests? Like what, what are the steps? And he was like, just for me to advocate for myself. And the only reason I could was because I already knew about what I wanted. And then I had to be like, nah, bruv. Like I went to a whole new doctor because I was like, fuck mm -hmm. you. That's yeah. not going to work. Yeah. I hit my friend who's a doctor. I'm like, Linda, can you help? Shout out to Dr. Linda. Mm -hmm. And she got me in for the referral, but it's crazy to me that my doctor, who I'm just saying to him as a normal person, I want to take my fertility into my own hands. I want to make sure everything's good. And he's like, meh, you should be fine. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that happened to me too. They didn't even, I, it, I didn't even click in that I had had so many miscarriages um, because it wasn't even, a, it didn't even come into a factor. Like the questions that they weren't asking, like, have you had a miscarriage? Like, how, how many miscarriages did you have before you had your first daughter? All they asked me, do you have a kid? And I said, yes. They're like, you're fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, that was, that was the questioning. And I was like, okay, I'll be fine. And then I'm 40 and it's like, not so fine. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. All that to say, can you talk to us about what are some of the types of testing to, that are done to diagnose infertility in both men and women? So, yeah, this is a good question because I get this question in different contexts and the tests are relative to the context in which the tests are done. Yeah. Right. So if you are doing the test as somebody who's never tried to have a child, they mean different things than if you've tried to have a child, not succeeded, and then done the test, versus if you've tried, had miscarriages, right. and done the test. See, so, very important so distinctions. The yeah, the context is really, really important. So a lot of the time, you know, if you, if, you, if you go to a doc and you're like, okay, can you just 
do some testing and see if there's any problems, right? Or if I'm if I'm fertile. Um, you know, there's a panel of testing that we can order, looking at your, you know, uterus, fallopian tubes, ovaries, and you know, there are normal parameters, right? Mm -hmm. But what does that really mean? How how useful is that, right? So you'll kind of go and you get the results, be like, ah, oh, it's all normal, right? And so you'll kind of walk away being like, okay, I guess. What does that mean? Does right. that mean that you can have a kid when you feel like it right. at any age? Does that mean that you're a good candidate for IVF or egg freezing? Does that mean like what does that actually mean? But this is important because what you're what you're saying as somebody who is in this space, I don't know as a lay person to ask my doctor to explain that to me. Like they're on the phone, the doctor's just like, Yeah, everything looks great. Follicles, blah, 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 blah. But I don't know to say like, well, what does that mean for me in three years? What does that mean for me to if I want IVF? And now I'm literally going to call her back and be like, so. But it, but it also kind of, without no understanding and knowing about this information, it builds more fear and more shame around it. Because we, when you don't have the right uh, knowledge, then you cut yourself off from exploring those things or even asking the right questions because you don't even know the questions to ask. So all of a sudden you're just like, well, I just can't have a baby and I'm barren and I like God didn't choose me and all of these things start happening. Um, just because we just don't have the facts. Mm -hmm. Ooh, literally. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you break down for us the different types of infertility? So why someone may not be able to have a child and what that means for them? So there's something that a lot of people don't know is a lot of infertility is, is male factors. So people always assume it's female. So that's a big yes, that is. So We're talking about this We were prior. just talking because someone on The Real House is in New Jersey. She, they're, they're all, he's, very virile and has sex with her all the time on the show they talk about right. it but then they went to go to do the test she's 40 she's fine she has tons of eggs he has like one or two swimmers whatever right. and you don't even think about the guy has to get tested too right it's all on us and something that's not well known either among men is that taking things that are like testosterone replacements mm. can oh. really suppress sperm counts oh does wow it, what, what does testosterone replace does that mean like steroids? like testosterone yeah okay. Testosterone. Oh, okay got it so some guys yeah like anabolic steroids but there's also like lower grade testosterone replacement that some guys will take for energy and sexual function and, and that's what they they know. we heard about this in high school but they would only talk about it based on an erection like oh you're not going to mm -hmm. get hard or your dick sorry yes. gonna get smaller your dick's gonna yes, but they yes, never yes. talked about it affecting your insides very good point yeah. gentlemen stop taking those things <laughs> <laughs> right so that's important to know that a lot of infertility is male factor but besides that you know like you kind of got to go through the different pieces of the puzzle right so you have the ovary so you got to be ovulating if you're not ovulating that's one reason why you can have infertility PCOS is a common condition characterized by irregular periods and not ovulating regularly. And those women will have struggles. They'll, they'll usually know it, though, because their periods are irregular and they'll know, like, okay, it's hard for me to time and they'll have an idea. Um, keep going down the path for the ovary egg and then it has to be picked up by the fallopian tube. You can have tubal issues. So the tubes can be affected by pelvic infections. Uh, if you had chlamydia in the past, that's a common cause of uh, tubal damage. Um, then the egg's got to make it all the way through to the uterus and an implant. And so the lining of the uterus has to be normal. And, and I'd say that, that abnormalities in, in uterine lining are relatively rare. Um, so that part, you know, is, is usually okay. And sort of if the uterus is shaped okay, then, you know, there's that part. And then, you know, the other part is the sperm, which we just mentioned. So those are sort of the main categories yeah. for what causes infertility. How long should you and your partner be trying to conceive before you consult a fertility doctor? If you're, let's yeah. say, staying at 34. So an important thing, I guess, tagging on from the previous question is that unexplained infertility, mm -hmm. where all these things are totally fine, is also a big category. Right. You know, the 
majority of patients actually undergoing fertility treatments at most fertility clinics are in the unexplained category. Really? So it's actually very, very common in that group of women, of uh, women and men who can't get pregnant. Right. So that's part of why just this testing and saying, oh, your testing is normal, doesn't tell the whole story because I have a colleague who says 60% of infertility is micro, which we can't test. Oh, no. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an important thing to remember that these tests, they, they have some value. There's a major problem, they'll point it out, like if you have major abnormality in the uterus, your tubes are blocked, mm -hmm. there's no sperm, okay? But that's pretty rare. These are less common scenarios. Right. And most of the time, you know, you don't, don't find anything. So in terms of how soon you should get checked out, the blanket answer is a year of trying. Okay. And then they sort of say after 35, six months, after 40, kind of right away. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, like I would say that's a good rule of thumb in general. But um, I, think, I think as soon as you get to like, getting close to 35 or so, like I would go in and just see what's going on because also you got to look at other options as to what might mm -hmm. be able to empower your fertility. So, you know, egg freezing, embryo freezing, you guys probably have this in your questions that we haven't come to yet, but mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's not for everyone. Um, and that's a misconception as well right. uh, that, you know, like everyone can freeze their eggs and it's a good idea, but it's not, it's not cost effective for, for, for everyone. But if it's right for you, then these are things that are worth knowing when you're in that age group where you can still get a good number of eggs that are of good quality, i.e. Less, less than 35. So second question to that, just brought up and based on what you just said, what are the costs to freeze your egg versus freezing an embryo in Canada? Because yeah. you do have to pay for it, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'd say freezing eggs, uh, you know, the cost is, I think it varies per clinic, but it's somewhere between like six and 10,000. Right. So not the cheap. procedure. Yeah. Right. yeah. And plus meds, which can be about three to 5,000. Wow. wow. Um, and then freezing embryos is a little more expensive because it's IVF, not just freezing eggs. Right. IVF meaning you're fertilizing the egg and growing mm -hmm. to embryos. So probably add like, you know, four to 6,000 to that total cost for that. Yeah. I think I'm just going to throw something in here because what I learned about this for you probably can't say this, but I will. Uh, <laughs> so I do know OHIP will cover a round of IVF for people who are, quote unquote, infertile. So what I learned was at the time when I was like, oh, cool, I can get this covered by OHIP. But you have to be able to prove I'm using air quotes that you're infertile. So for those of you listening, really, when you go to your doctor, you you basically need to be like, yeah, I've been trying to get pregnant and I haven't been getting pregnant. <laughs> There's specific things, language that if this is something that's important that even I'll be honest, you're just trying to game the system. But if that's what you're trying to do, you have to say it. Because by the time I found that out, because this is expensive and, and it's crazy expensive to do. But by the time I had found out that I could have said that and maybe gotten it covered, I had already said that I wasn't. I've never yeah. been pregnant. I'm not trying to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I can't go off the record and say that that's not the case. So it's also weird timing in Ontario on when you can get support from the government mm -hmm. and then when you can't. From what I understood, there's like you could do a certain number of rounds, but you have to apply for that free round before a certain date every year. Uh, yeah. So the way it works is that um, everyone in, in Ontario who has a health card um, who is female is entitled to a round of IVF right. under the age of, uh, I believe it's under 43. Mm -hmm. So if you're 42, you can do it. But the government doesn't issue enough funding each year for the number of people who need IVF. So there's a wait list at every clinic and the wait list has varying lengths and uh, it can fluctuate. Um, what you said is true, that if you, yeah, it, like since you're entitled to it, if you're trying to have a baby, then, you know, you just say that and then you could potentially freeze your embryos under the program. So, so that's true, but that's how it works. Just for our listeners, I know they say it covers one round. How many rounds does it typically take 
right. for it to be successful mm-hmm. for someone. So, yeah. So again, it's, you know, like I, I keep saying the word context, but it, it yeah. is actually, it is no, actually relevant. It it's know? not a one size fits all. Right. Exactly. So, you know, and this goes back to if you're a good, you know, what makes someone a good candidate for IVF or, or not. And that ties to if someone's a good candidate for egg freezing or not. Um, if you have a high ovarian reserve, meaning you're going to get a high number of eggs from an egg retrieval, then, you know, often one cycle is, is enough, you know. Um, if you're not going to get that many eggs, then, you know, it, it depends how few eggs you're going to get, but sort of all bets are off a little bit. You know, it depends on how few eggs you are, you know, going to get, how old you are, as to how many cycles it could take. But it could take a, um, you know, it can take a lot, like a lot of IVF to get pregnant. It can take a single cycle. It's really hard to say. But to what we spoke to earlier, this is what it's sort of helpful to understand. So if you know you have kind of a lower ovarian reserve, it doesn't go up over time, it goes down. Right. So if you know that earlier on, you're more in a position to kind of understand what you should do. Like the notion of egg freezing as a, like you do this and then you're set, like this is your insurance policy, like you're good. It's kind of a fallacy. It's it's sort of like pitched that way a little bit by the- oh. mm-hmm. Powers by the that people. be. Yeah, but it, but it, it's, it, it's just not the truth. So like what actually is the case is like, that's true if you have a really high ovarian reserve. Right. So if you're going to walk in at, you know, 33 or 34 and get like 20 eggs, okay. I mean, that's probably true, right? That's not the case for most women. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that from your testing. So that's kind of what I'm saying mm-hmm. in terms of context. Like knowing what you are kind of what your goals are with regard to fertility, it gives an idea as to what you should do. So these are things that it's worth kind of asking, mm-hmm. you know, like what, how many eggs am I likely to get based on this test? And I understand that that's not commonly counseled to patients when no. I hear, no. you know, it's like, okay, you're going to freeze your eggs. Okay, here, go ahead, freeze, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, uh, but it's super relevant as to whether or not you should even do it. And, uh, beyond sort of how many eggs like you kind of also want to know like how old you're going to be when you're going to try and get pregnant mm-hmm. are you going to be of an age where you can try for one child naturally and is that going to be a, a likely outcome and then maybe those eggs are for that second child mm-hmm. if you're one of those fortunate people who are going to get a ton of eggs then okay then yeah. you do have your insurance policy as kind of right. it's advertised as yeah. advertised but that's that's not often the case i'd say it's yeah, probably less often the case than it is. Mm-hmm. So wow. these are things that are kind of worth kind of inquiring about and getting a sense for. And, you know, also, you know, again, you have no way of actually knowing if this is the truth in Canada because no one publishes their rates. But you should also ask if they have a track record of thawing eggs and what the pregnancies look like mm-hmm. from that. That's a great uh, question. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I even we are literally going to list in bullet points in the show notes yeah. questions. What to ask, yes, like yes. actual full questions. Right. How to advocate for your health. Infertility. Amen. With Dr. Mahazian. That, we, that needs to be a series, yeah. how to advocate yeah. for your health. And we just branch off into yeah. all the shit no one tells you. <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Obviously, this is such a strenuous process. In your experience, how would you recommend a woman or a man in a position who's looking to visit a fertility clinic? How do you bring that up with your partner? Because we know there's so much shame and nervousness that surrounds it. Yeah. So I I encounter this a lot from, you know, obviously the side watching it happen. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm not in those situations. We've been fortunate not to be in those situations, but um, there's a lot of, it depends on the, the the couple, obviously, right? But there, there's. I think the universal thing is that infertility is stressful. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are yeah. or how good your relationship is; it's stressful. Um, and over time, you do see it wear on people and wear on couples. Um, and so, I think bringing it up, I think that's a good question because sometimes some women will come to me to some testing and say, "Well, you know, I'm sort of want want to learn more. I haven't really involved my partner yet because I don't really want to." And and I think that's actually probably a good thing mm-hmm. initially. I often, when I get those sort of conversations, and I'm not sure if this is in the spirit of like full disclosure to everyone about everything, but like, <laughs> but I think that there is some advantage to not doing that in some right, cases. Right. Like, I think there's some advantage if you're, you know, sort of thinking about getting pregnant, maybe understanding what's going on yourself, yeah. like being able to optimize things on your end. And right. like, maybe, you know, I can speak from the, from the guy's end as the guy being on the receiving end, maybe not like let the guy really know so much about what's, <laughs> what's going on for the first little bit, right? Maybe mm-hmm. you keep track of that, right? And uh, sort of, that decreases the mutual pressure that you go through. It kind of kicks it down the the road a little bit. So instead of starting on day one, it maybe starts, and hopefully it never starts, but maybe it starts in month five or six, right? When you're like, okay, we got to go to a clinic. Yeah, because you can get really into that. This time with the legs up over the head, and then this is not sexy anymore, babe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is work. You're losing me. You know, then I totally hear what you're saying because you still want it to be fun. And like, once you put stress into it, it almost like adds this whole layer where it's just not going to happen because you're both want to kill each other. No, and there's like physical stuff to it. There's also like not all guys can just like right. be totally good to go, whatever, yeah, yeah. right? Like they kind of have to be feeling it a little bit, yes, right? Yes, of course. Like human <laughs> beings. Yes. Yeah. Um, the response you know, is not there. And, you know, also we don't understand it very well, but there is something to do with being stressed and mm-hmm. having a harder time getting pregnant. It's poorly understood. Right. It's very hard to test, very hard to like isolate and study. But, you know, it, it is sort of accepted that there is something to do with like being under a lot of stress and mm-hmm. having a hard time getting pregnant. And we don't know why. So the less you can do that, mm-hmm. you know, the better. Yeah. So s- some of this stuff, like, you know, having those conversations when they need to be had, but then also this idea of not having the conversation yeah. too soon, mm-hmm. but right. kind of optimizing things yourself, right? right? And then having the conversation when it's like, you know, if, if it's not working We just out. can't get there, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting that you say that too, because I feel like so many women will say like, oh, I was trying, trying for five years. We couldn't, I was under so much stress. And then they do end up conceiving like, Two years following right. the like shrine. after they stop, yeah, stop being stressed, yeah, after they stop trying, right? Yeah. No, I've seen that a lot. Even women who go through IVF and yeah. couples who go through IVF, and you know that doesn't work, and then they're oh. like, you know what, forget this. Yeah, we're going on vacation. Yeah, and then they get pregnant on vacation. True, <laughs> I've seen that. that. I've seen that. I think one of the things that I hear a lot from people when I talk about going to do fertility testing and wanting to freeze my eggs is, well, mostly women. They are 
the thing I get here a lot is like, oh, don't worry about it. You're young. You're not going to have any problem doing that, um, which is infuriating because you don't know that. Again, with your magic body eye scanner, weird <laughs> that you would know what my fertility is. But are there ways to be like a better friend or a family member to someone who's struggling with infertility? That's a great question. I mean, you know, I think this is kind of, I mean, yeah, it's it's a tough question to answer. So I'm coming from the standpoint of the medical side, so I know kind of what's going on medically. Uh, this is kind of getting into psychology, but I can kind of share my experience of what I've seen, you know? You know, I think that a lot of pressure comes from, and this is not a novel statement, but from people constantly asking couples, when are you yes. going to have a kid? Oh like, you've been married right, for a while. I see you. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's kind of obvious, but for some reason it's not obvious in families because no one thinks that in their family that's going on, right? Right. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Obviously, when someone's going through infertility, you don't ask them about their infertility. Mm -hmm but you don't expect that's happening within your household. So I think that that's probably the best thing you can do. I, I, I don't know if, unless someone reaches out mm -hmm. for support, that you kind of volunteer it. You right, know? Yeah. exactly. I think it's a little bit of one of those that you just sort of let people go through their journey and kind of experience it and kind of get through it. And as they need help and they reach out, you support them. But I think the best support you can give is by not pressuring them to... Like not commenting on not it. Not commenting on it. I'll and like, not, when are you guys going to have babies? Yeah. I'm just married. Like, just refrain. Because it seems like a cute comment, but it's especially not, when are yeah. getting older when having kids. And as yeah. we as a society are generally having kids older, I think we, we got to phase out that cute yeah, comment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, is it legal to have a surrogate in Ontario or oh. Canada in general? Because I know that that was something that was popping up for me. Um, because I was having these, what do you call it? It's um, um, hostile uterus. Host, I had hostile uterus and also it, something abortion. Um, Spontaneous abortion. Yeah, like my body would just reject and then I would have a miscarriage. Okay. Uh, so they were thinking that maybe it's just not a safe space for a baby. We could talk about surrogacy, but it's is it's not really legal. Like there's some weird back sure. channel because yeah. there's some kind of thing. Like, there's like a weird pay. network, and then you have to pay buy the person groceries and stuff. And like <laughs> that's the extreme. So yeah, it's, it's not like, like an e-transfer. Yeah, 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 it's like, like yeah, let you me, can't yeah. give them a hundred grand. <laughs> but so with surrogacy or gestational carrier, mm -hmm. as as it's known, so a terminology thing. Conventional surrogacy is where it's the female's egg as well. Like mm -hmm. so, yeah. basically, it's you as the carrier. It's your oh, egg really? and then someone else's sperm. That's what that term technically means. Okay. People use it interchangeably. Right. But what we're actually talking about is gestational carrier, right. right? So the way it works in Canada is that you are not allowed to compensate someone for their services in being a gestational carrier. So you can only cover their expenses. Now, it gets a little gray as to what their expenses are, right? <laughs> right. But it's, you know, relatively well monitored. So, you know, of course, all kinds of things happen, right? But it's yeah. technically speaking it's supposed to be kind of altruistic. And so the dynamic of it is different up, up here. So I guess the contrast would be in the US right. where it is transactional and mm -hmm. can be transactional and is uh, more clearly transactional. Right. So in Canada, what ends up being the case then is that the person who's being the gestational carrier is is really integrated a little more into your story. They are doing it because they're, you know, they want to help, presumably for the most part. Um, and in doing that, they develop a relationship with you and kind of with your family, and they kind of become a bit of a part of that whole right. story. And that is a huge plus for some people, and it's not for others, right? Like, I don't want to know you, or uh, right. I do. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so in the U.S., you have more of that arm's length kind of relationship right. where it is more transactional. It's more clear that, you know, where the lines are drawn. Because of that, it's a little bit harder to find a carrier in Canada, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Whereas obviously you know, a market where it's transactional, the right price, you get the person, right? right. Um, so that's another thing that's worth knowing. It's harder to get somebody okay. in Canada yeah. as well. But I'd say the main difference, the biggest one is, um, you know, time to finding a person for sure. But also 
that the dynamic is different. Right. So the dynamic is more of like, you know, they're doing it altruistically. They're part of your group. Mm-hmm. They're part of your circle at that point. And that's part of what their motivation is for doing it, I think. Oh, right. That's an, that was another thing that when, when we were looking into it, too, it wasn't straightforward. And that you had to get someone, you had to match with someone before you could even start the process. So it could take time. It could take some time. To yeah, find To that find person. somebody, as I said, yeah. Which it, is, just, it can take time. And it doesn't mean that they're like living in Toronto. Like they can be in London or Windsor or like, you right. know, and like it, it is more of a almost like a time commitment, too, to like take care of them. Yeah. Because it's not done through like there's this person you pay this much they're going to do it it's going to take this time exactly it's not as clear right and we're all exhausted by covid and hopefully we're like in our final stages of moving out Uh, i know it impacted my fertility journey because we were about to start a round of ivf and if you weren't in a lot of the clinics weren't like starting you again because covid like shut everything down how do you find COVID has affected the fertility treatment process? It's like, are you very backed up? You know, it it did shut things down early yeah. on when clinics shut down yeah. in that first wave. Right. After that, because we are healthcare, we were allowed to yeah. stay open, and then most clinics then did stay open. Right. So that initial part, I think you're talking about yeah. that very like, beginning in March or something. Yeah, yeah like it, it was like you know, all clinics shut down, mm-hmm. not necessarily because they were required to by the government, but because that's kind of what was the accepted mm-hmm. practice right. that everyone was doing. And so they wanted to be consistent with that. But after that, actually from, uh, you know, and I think this is true for most places, they've actually seen sort of a surge in yeah. fertility care because, right. um, and I'm, I'm theorizing, I don't know this from any data, but you know, people are at home, people are kind of turn their focus to family. Right, let's do it now. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're sort of not doing as many other things perhaps right. during this time. And so actually, you know, fertility care has been very active and sort yeah. of booming, I would say, during the pandemic after that initial shutdown. Yeah. So there hasn't been really any impact, I would say, okay. negatively, I mean, on, on both sides for clinics or patients. So can you talk to us about what are some healthy habits to help people get pregnant? And do age and weight play a role in a couple's fertility journey? Since it does say they are the most targeted factors online, but let's hear about that. Okay, so the the healthy habits thing, I think is a bit of a double-edged sword. So on the one hand, you know, uh, you know, I can tell you some things that whether it's supplements or dietary improvement, exercise, that can definitely optimize your health for getting pregnant and being pregnant. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, there is a lot of reliance these days or a lot of sort of over-reliance on natural, you know, solutions, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you want to do really well, you can start a supplement company, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, because, yeah. because everyone's like, well, that's, that's the answer, Right. right. And so I think like, you know, in, in terms of healthy habits, you know, like uh, for sure diet and exercise play a role and we can talk about weight because that's something that concretely we have good data for. In terms of supplements, you know, most people will, will recommend coenzyme Q10 as a supplement that can improve egg quality that does have data behind it. The vitamin D is a good supplement as well. But when it comes to fertility, things like age really far overshadow sort of these parameters. And there's, you know, some people look at DHEA as a supplement, which uh, is supposed to improve egg quality. And there's some studies that show in specific populations with low ovarian reserve, they have better IVF outcomes if they pre-treat with this thing, DHEA. But actually, if you look at it kind of in the sum of things, it's like a firefly next to a headlight, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the headlight being age, right? right. And so I, I think it's, there are things you can do. And I think that, you know, you can, you know, obviously eat, eat a diet that's, you know, rich in fruits and vegetables, low in uh, saturated fats, carbs, exercise regularly all of that sort of thing within reason like not to the point where you're 
Mm-hmm. Stop having your periods and that kind of thing. You <laughs> exercise too much. Right. So that is a, an issue some women face. But more than that, I think, I think it's also kind of understanding that that's in the context of age. And so, because mm-hmm. I, I say this because I've had a lot of patients who yeah. are like, well, I've, you know, I, I worked out and I took all these supplements and, you know, now I'm 42 and I can't get pregnant. I don't know why. Right. Yeah. And it's because of that over-reliance on sort of like healthy living and supplements. And like, if I optimize everything naturally, then I should be fine. I, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Yeah. But it but it doesn't end up working out that way. Right. So it's important to kind of asterisk healthy habits with that point. Now, weight is a good one because that, you know, people do ask what the consequences are of weight. If you have a higher BMI, if you're heavier, uh, you have a higher risk of having um, issues with ovulation. Mm-hmm. So there's a higher incidence of those women who have, you know, things like PCOS, for example, or other ovulatory disorders, which stop you from you know, releasing an egg, you know, monthly, as you would expect. Uh, that can cause issues with fertility. It can also be harder to do things like IVF because of the medication dosing that needs to be sort of higher and can be less effective in those women as well. Pregnancy as well can have some more complications with increased weight. So you have an increased risk of gestational diabetes, preterm labor. There are some things that do go with having a higher BMI. That having been said, different women are different, right? Mm -hmm. And some women just like actually just have a bigger frame. And and this is a part that's not captured well. Yeah. In in uh, about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, after like sort of well with 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 her as well, right? Her, her meaning my, my wife. <laughs> she she um you know Roxy's here, everybody. Yeah, that's <laughs> she's, our girl. Being, she's being a supportive w- wife adjure. <laughs> we love yeah, it. That's right. Um yeah, like she's an example of somebody like that who, you know, has a higher BMI but her body's structured differently. And so actually her all her parameters, her blood levels of glucose, cholesterol, you know, all of that's totally normal. Right. And her pregnancy was rock solid normal, you know? And so, um, but like you, according to her BMI, you would think that might not be the case, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you were, yeah, you were also told you're going to have diabetes and all that. And like, it's just not. Wow. So, so there is some, and this sort of leads to the inadequacy of BMI in yes. characterizing, you know, we sort could of, go on about oh, BMI. Right. Let we, me tell I'm going to link every podcast where we've shit on the BMI. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah. we feel because I kept on t- being told about my weight, it prolonged me starting a treatment by years. Wow. Because I spent like when someone tells you to lose 50 pounds. Okay. Just so you know, that for me is like a, three-year endeavor of mental gymnastics trying to overcome that yeah so now we're three years later in that journey and i think that's relevant because if you give someone this you say their bmi needs to be something and it's unrealistic Mm -hmm. but it's also not giving context for what that even means just for me it worked out perfectly in my journey because it brought me to where i am today but for most people it just adds on those years Mm -hmm. where the years are more detrimental yes. than the weight. Yes. And so for me, that was like a huge factor. If I had like yeah. just listened, mm-hmm. which I did in the in most moments, I, I wasn't infertile. Yeah. Right. At all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? But I had this. But they're idea. not looking at the context of like the, like we Or they're not spoken. even checking. Yeah, they're not even checking. They're just like, asking like, three questions like, on the yeah. phone. Yeah. <laughs> so just guess how long it took me to lose fifty pounds. Well, I've never lost fifty pounds, but I. <laughs> but here we, we are, and then, yeah. like there's like time, quote unquote, is that term, Lisa? But like time wasted doing all of those things. Oh, years, and, not and time, years. years. <laughs> But and the that's stress. Like, if, yeah. I, if I could lose 50 pounds, I would have lost 50 pounds, yeah. doctor. Right. And never mind making you just literally feel like shit. Like every time those yes. things happen, like, and it's the same thing I've heard like, about I this forever. This to me. I'm the reason yeah, I can't like, have a baby. You're yes. bad. Like it's, there's that, that I language around that. On my body to have a baby. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. you were completely healthy the entire time. Yeah. That's fucked up. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit. I mean, I could have lost some weight. 
I did need to lose some weight, but yeah, it was this like put it in context. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an that's weight, an important point. Yeah, yeah. But it's not the be all and yeah. yeah. It's the, yeah. I like that analogy. Is the mosquito next to the the yeah, headlight? Firefly, firefly, oh, firefly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Roxy, do you feel like that was a big reason that inspired you to start your app? Yeah, Anna. Yeah, of course. Give us a little Lolo on Anna. We built Anna out of my journey for finding my happiness and my health. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, I was, uh, there's a lot of reasons I couldn't have a baby. M- you know, immaculate in conception, is that the word? What's the immaculate word? conception. Immaculate conception, immaculate conception <laughs> is understanding that is basically one of them. Fair. <laughs> Fair. But um, there's, yeah. So I was, I was in a marriage that was breaking apart and I thought I wanted to have a child. I knew I wanted to have a baby. And inst- I was just fixated on having a baby at mm-hmm. that point. Cause you know what you're like, you're like, if I have a baby, my life will, it will all work out. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to have a baby and I didn't realize that I wasn't healthy enough to just not to carry a baby, to be a parent. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. in a good place. I was Ooh. mentally, mind, body and soul broken. You don't bring a baby into that. It doesn't fix mm-hmm. anything. And I met with all the like best doctors in all of California. I spent so much money. Most women don't have access to this kind of care. I, I barely had access to this kind of care. It was costing me a fortune. But what I found out is that my hormones were being affected by my stress and that was affecting my ability to just live and feel and a happy, healthy life. Also, my weight was really heavy compared to what it should be. And it was all stress and hormone related. When I met Arnold and fell in love with him and I was already on a journey to being a healthier version of me. But when I fixed what was happening in my mind and then when I was able to tune into my hormones, it was just like a light bulb went off in my body. The weight came off. I lost about 40 pounds. I felt amazing. I slept better. I was happier. I fell in love again, got married, got pregnant, have a newborn. (laughs) And I swear it's because I had access to understanding what was going on with my mind, Mm -hmm. my body, and how it affected my hormones. And so Arnold and I set on this path to build Anna in the last two years have built it. And it's all based around what you can do to your mind to feel your happiest and your healthiest every single day. And when you fix your mind, your body will feel good. But you can't do that without fixing your body as well. So it was like, you need to be tuned into your hormones, but you also need to be tuned into your mind. And balancing those two things was really powerful for me. And we brought together all these amazing experts and you go on to Ana every day and log how you feel. And it gives you a practice to overcome whatever you're going through and then tunes into your hormones and your cycle. So it's for women with menopause, women trying to get pregnant, women who have cycles, women who don't have cycles, to just feel your best every day. But it's built out of my own real journey. And that real important part is, is giving access to that care that women can't afford. So for Arnold and I, we have this free app. Um, Hopefully it's all over the world one day. And this kind of care, the kind of doctors that we have involved in this, and then the mindset stuff, that would cost a fortune for people to have access to. And we're going to provide it for free. And we'll so link it in the show notes for everybody too. So yeah. you guys can click on, on I, I won't it. take up the whole thing, but that's the moral of the story is that it was a long story, but it's built out of my own journey to living my life in my happiest, healthiest way. So it works. We love it. <laughs> we love a guest appearance. <laughs> the most important Cameo. things come out of fixing a problem mm-hmm. or finding a solution. So that's why I think this app is so important because it did actually happen to you. So you can see, you put through the authenticity to it because you can call bullshit on something like, that's not going to work because that didn't happen, right? 
Well, you know, you bring a holistic approach to how you treat your patients. Um, do you work with naturopathic doctors? Um, to, or do you think like it's beneficial for patients to combine both treatments and yeah. And I understand. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the question is, do we work with the naturopathic mm-hmm. doctors in, in the fertility world? So the fertility world is one that's like really has a lot of overlap with naturopathic care. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we actually do, you know, at my clinic, we have a, a, a naturopathic clinic actually built into oh, it. Wow, okay. And so we are very collaborative with naturopaths. And so we sort of see a lot, we're able to sort of do a lot of studies because of that sort of understanding what the actual impact is of naturopathic care when it's done in an evidence-based way. Mm-hmm. And I think that when it's done that way, I think it's really valuable. I think it's really helpful. Um, things like acupuncture around embryo transfer, there's data for that, that there's an, uh, you know some value to it. Um, there are, you know, it's obviously very useful to involve naturopaths when people are trying to improve their lifestyle and, you know, with weight loss and things like that as well. I think there's a great role for it. We're in an era now where you don't need to overemphasize the value of it because everyone's like, yeah. oh yeah, that's they're the like whole, doing that's the entire story. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the entire story, right? But just to te- you know, keep in mind that it's 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 a really useful thing to work into the story. But uh, as with anything else, it's 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 part of the picture. Mm-hmm. I've, I've just seen some bad outcomes where people think it's the entire picture. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so that's what I would caution people on. But good naturopaths will definitely like not lead them down that path. So you yeah, know, like they'll be real with them about what their services can do and what they can't. Best advice, and you can take this how you want, for any couples who are contemplating starting their fertility journey. So starting your fertility journey, that could mean like, you know, we just met and we're thinking of like having a family at some point and we're like in our early 30s or something. Or it could be that we've been trying, you know, or having unprotected sex, but not really trying to have a baby. And now we're like, okay, we really need to have a baby, but really we've been kind of trying for like five years, Mm -hmm. right? Um, so all of these are possible scenarios. I think what I'd say is if you're less than 35, do your best to not put too much pressure on the situation right away. You know, I would say it, it can take a little bit of time. The per cycle success rates, even for a totally normal fertile couple in there is like at most 20 to 25% per month. Well, Everyone thinks it's like 100%. Yeah. 150%. Yeah. It's like you look but, at someone and you're like, pregnant. Right. Yeah. That's all I've ever taught though. Like, right. especially when like, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, <laughs> right. don't get pregnant, right. don't get pregnant. Yeah. And meanwhile, right. you're like, well, it's actually like 25% <laughs> right. at max. Which is, I mean, is, if you're 21, that's pretty high odds. You know? Right, like, right. Yes. One yeah. in four, you're like, okay, yeah, we'll yeah, avoid exactly. that, right? But but it's but it's not as high as people think. So, you know, if you're south of 35, give it a little bit of time, maybe, you know, six months. As I said, you know, try not to put too much pressure on the situation. Um, but I would say in the same vein, do keep an eye to it because I have had couples go for like three, four years and then into their late 30s, early 40s. Whereas if they had just shown up like, you know, six mm-hmm. months, eight months in, right. we would have been fine. Right. But at that point, like, we're not fine. Yeah. So... I think it's kind of balancing, you know, keeping the pressure off the situation. And I tell my patients sometimes these kind of strategies of like, like, don't tell the guy necessarily, you know, mm-hmm. that you're tracking and all that, you know, just sort of do it for a little while to like, you know, sort of having a counselor support you as well. Like yeah. er- early on, that's something people generally don't do. Uh, they don't think it's like necessary. They need that. Right. But it's kind of like one of those that once you once you need it, things have gotten kind of pretty bad yeah, yeah yeah and you can really kind of like head it off a little bit mm-hmm. if you can if you start early because initially they're just kind of like pretty casual chats i don't really need to be here right <laughs> but as months go on yeah. sometimes you really do need to be there yeah. and the fact that you were there 
saves you a lot of trouble on the back end. So that's something I would say is worth people wouldn't think about, but mm-hmm. I've seen make a big difference. Yeah, the other thing is just make sure you do your research. Like if you get plugged into someplace and you're doing your care, like it's okay to get a second opinion. Right. I'd say like, you know, don't think that, oh, well, I'm on this highway, like it'll be fine. Like, cause you, most of the time, you know, people will do similar things, but don't hesitate to kind of like, okay, if things aren't going the way you want, just talk to someone else and just right. see if there's major differences between the plan you're on. Depending on the clinic, there can be a lot of variation in like, and there's a lot of different incentives out there in the fertility world. So most people are pretty okay, but you just don't know necessarily what that particular clinic's incentives are. Like they have a lot of OHEP money sitting around for IUIs. And so they have to burn it before the end of the year, before they lose it. Like, like wow. you just don't know any of this stuff, right? right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm making it seem more cynical than it is. But no, but it's no, important it's, to it's know. This isn't, yeah. this isn't, I'm not making it up either. This isn't yeah. new. So. Yeah. But even the process, and I've been telling, because she's pushed me to do this, but also I've been telling a lot of people that I know uh, even younger women, the process of all the way up until the point where they where they test you for everything, it's inexpensive. I think I spent maybe a hundred dollars. They drew my blood. They did the transverse ultrasound, and which is just an internal. But the process wasn't terrible to go and just see is there any kind of problem yeah, right. without context. And I told like my younger sister, my younger cousins, I'm like, hey, it actually is not that hard to go do this. Yeah. And I, if I if I knew. When I was 25, what I know now, I actually probably would have just gotten and sorry, babe, I would have gone and gotten tested then too, and maybe like every couple of years. If I don't know, yeah, yeah just just to know. You don't so know you do what you testing, don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. truly. If you do the testing and you add the context that I was talking about, yeah, and you ask the right questions, you'll get a lot of insight. Yeah, because yeah. because sure. imagine being 25 and knowing like, oh, your like reserve is really low or whatever. That's going to change yeah. how you tackle this problem yeah. Yeah. rather than finding out at 38 like well you're scuppered yeah, yeah. Think. for women who have experienced a miscarriage when should they actually visit a doctor is it after one is it after two and then can you tell us about the journey and the statistics surrounding miscarriages but, that's a good question though because a lot of people experience it so yeah. miscarriage is pretty common 15 percent of all pregnancies will end in miscarriage at, even at young ages and then once you get to older ages by the time you're 40, as I mentioned before, it's about 40%. If you get pregnant by 45, it's about 80%. So the miscarriage rates get really high. For the most part, a miscarriage doesn't mean that you're going to have multiple other miscarriages. Okay? It, it, it doesn't predispose you suddenly to having more. It's most likely because you had an abnormal egg that was released. And yeah. so if you're 35 and the miscarriage rate's about 20%, if you have a miscarriage, the chance that that's going to happen again is really low. Like you're probably not going to have two in a row, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're much older, then you may have two in a row just because the chances are about 50-50 at that point, right? right? But I think that's the part that most women sort of, um, they worry a lot that it's going to happen again and again. And it typically doesn't. That having been said, obviously I'm in the business of when things aren't, uh, there is something wrong and things do happen over and over. So I would say that also don't hesitate to go and get investigated if you do have sort of two, I would say. Mm-hmm. A single one, I don't think anyone would sort of do anything differently. But if you have, t- you know, sort of two, I think, you know, especially if you're like less than 40, I would say it's not a bad idea to get checked out because it can be due to something as simple as sort of a polyp in the uterus. Like if it's a big polyp, you can have miscarriages. It's a pretty easy fix. And so you don't want to have like a bunch of miscarriages before you find that out. Um, fibroid in the uterus, also a pretty easy fix. More rare, you can have autoimmune issues that are causing the miscarriages, that's more rare, but if you have it, you want to know sooner than later. Right. So I would say 
if you have two miscarriages, you know, it's probably worth getting checked out. After a single one, if you're young and healthy and you're not having a problem getting pregnant, odds are good your next pregnancy is going to be fine. So let's say a woman in her 20s moves forward with an abortion. How does that affect her infertility moving forward if she chooses to have a child in her early 30s, for example? We actually see this a lot. And so we see, you know, a lot of cases where a woman has had an, an, an abortion. It doesn't impact their fertility in, in any meaningful way. So that's the general answer to that question, right? That having been said, if you have a procedure for uh, an abortion, like you have a surgical abortion, it can cause scarring in the uterus, which can cause issues with carrying a pregnancy in the future. It is possible. It's not that common. Um, so, I, you know, it's something that can happen, but it's not that common. Um, medical abortions are a lot safer in terms of the uterus, but obviously sometimes things are too far along for that. And so you do have to have it surgically. So if you're sort of, if you're given both options, a medical one is probably a little better from a fertility standpoint than a surgical one. But I would say that, uh, you know, typically women who have an abortion don't have problems with fertility. Now, that having been said, I have a lot of patients who had abortions when they were younger and then have trouble getting pregnant when they were older, but that's not related to the abortion. It's just one of those that also, yeah, I mean, the reasons people choose to have an abortion are so com complex, so I can't really comment in that area. But I have had women who have regretted if they've had an abortion, like, Right. Close to the time when they wanted mm -hmm. to have a child, right. have and then child. they can't have got one. It, so, got it, got it. so kind of do keep in mind as you're listening to this, you'll probably know the challenges of getting pregnant now yeah. as you get older. So keep in mind that as as you make that decision. Though obviously the the choice is entirely yours. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Fantastic. It's been very a wealth of information. I think everybody's going to be really really happy to listen. Well, we appreciate you giving us our time. Congratulations yeah. on your new baby and your new app. Thank you. Everybody, download download the Anna app. We will, link it in the show. we will link it in the show notes, friends, so you can click and you can follow. Everybody will give you all their Instagrams and all that good stuff. So, Coz, you know what to do. Rate this podcast five stars on Apple and don't forget to follow us on Spotify. You can continue keeping up with our adventure on the gram at Coco and Co. That's C-O-W-E. Now go tell your friends about it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.